0: As you're getting settled and, and ready to, to, to listen to the word this morning, I'd like you to, if you have a Bible, you could take it out. And I also want you to take your wallets out. Everybody take, you got a pocket fold handy, take your wallet out. This is, not a, this is not rhetorical, this is real. We've got our wallets out, I want you to pass it to the left. Hand your wallet to somebody next to you. All right? It's getting there. We're, we're passing money around, all right? Now... With, with somebody else's possessions firmly in your grip, we're going to be taking up a special offering this morning. <laughs> this is, and, and I want you to give generously and freely, as freely as you feel compelled to give. Joking, hand your wallets back, hand the wallets back. It's a joke, it's a joke. But there's something to be said about having somebody else's possessions and how easy it is to give those away as opposed to our own, right? This morning we're going to talk a little bit about money. And resources and possessions. So if the room was not already hot enough, it's going gonna, it's gonna to tick up. We're working on that, by the way. So if it's, if it's warm in here, we're working on that. Uh, we, we are in the middle of a, a, a sermon series uh, identifying, uh, talking about these seven deadly sins maybe you 're familiar with that, so seven deadly sins, and how Jesus actually rescues us from them, and so we 're simply in week two, so if you 're here today as a visitor you 're getting here just in time uh, for the for the good stuff um, but really, last week we looked at pride, and this week we 're going to look at greed and and the goal here is not for us to leave here feeling guilt, conviction, and condemnation it 's actually for us to look at Jesus and not only how he ...suffered the judgment that should have come our way, but also how he provided the way of rescue for us to live a life of fullness. And so today as we look at greed, we'll look at also generosity and, and how God's strategically worked that to rescue us from, from greed. So if you do have a Bible this morning, we're going to be looking at a parable and some following verses in the Gospel of Luke. So uh, Luke's Gospel, if you're new to the Bible, it's in the New Testament. So, latter half of the Bible. There are four Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. So we'll look at Luke chapter 12 today. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We do have the words projected for you. We also love to give away free Bibles, love to give them away. So if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, we would love to give that to you. You can grab that on your way out of the door this morning at at our Next Steps table. This uh, morning, we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 12. I'm going to begin in verse 13, and then I'm going to read down through verse 34. Let's, uh, let's listen to God's word. Someone in the crowd said to him, that's to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. "'Consider the lilies, how they grow. "'They neither toil nor spin. "'Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory "'was not arrayed like one of these. "'But if God so clothes the grass, "'which is alive in the field today "'and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, "'how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? "'And do not seek what you are to eat "'and what you are to drink, nor be worried. "'For all the nations of the world "'seek after these things, "'and your Father knows that you need them. "'Instead, seek his kingdom.' And these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but this, the word of our Lord, will stand Forever, Let's ask God to bless uh, the preaching of it. Father, would you come now and would you open eyes and soften hearts and clear ears to hear what you would have for us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple months back, uh, family and I on day off were headed uh, out to do some running some errands, uh, headed into Target, Always dangerous to go with the family to Target. Um, we're going into Target, and it's the end of the month. And so, I don't know about you, but I come across a lot of months where there are more month and days than there is money. Right? It kind of runs out before it's before it's there. Well, we're kind of there, and and I know I'm going into a dangerous situation going into Target with the end of the month approaching and little funds at our at our fingertips. But we're heading in. And uh, we're, we're going in, we've got our boys, and we're, we're kind of head towards the door, and there, there's a man who's on the bench there, and um, I see him, and no judgments, but it appears that he is without home. It looks like he's living out of his, his bags and his goods there, and uh, he asks us for help, and he says, hey, um, you know, I'm hungry, and, and, I, and I'd love something to eat, can you help, can you help us? Uh, I'm not the hero of this story, so, so trust me, we're going somewhere different, Um. And so here I am, a broke pastor with a family, headed in, thinking, yes, this is a great opportunity for me. So I'm thinking, I got my boys here. I'd love to teach them about helping and being generous. I got my wife who's just foaming at the mouth at Target, you know, and like, (laughs) so I'm like, this is, this is the, this is it, Adam. Let's do this. So, you know, instead of giving him some money, we say, hey, you know, we'd love to go inside and grab you a bite to eat at the the little shop there and, and bring you something out. And you go... He goes, okay, sure, that'd be great. So we go in, we wait in line. Heather goes to begin to spend the money we don't have, and the boys and I, and I'm, I'm teaching them this, this whole time about, you know, what we're doing. It's just so great. It's fantastic. And we get them a little personal pan pizza and a bottle of water. We, we bring it out to them. We hand it to them. Very little interaction. You know, he doesn't come to know the Lord through me or anything. I just, just gave him some food. We went in shopping, continued on our day, and I thought, my, I thought, thought it was done. Well, we come back out of the store, you know, Pretty high and mighty, feeling good about ourselves, and and the boys notice that the man is gone, and they've got questions about that. But but also on the bench, uh, fallen off of the bench is our piece, of, our whole pizza, untouched on the ground. Bottle of water, unopened, left behind. And I begin raging inside. Uh, the boys ask, you know, why didn't he take our food that we gave him, and and I don't have answers for that kind of stuff, really. And, you know, I began to think to myself, you know, man, I could have used that money. You know, how could he do that to me? Does he not know, you know, what, we're at the end of the month, we're at Target, and here we are, and you threw our money on the ground. And so, in this subtle moment of self-righteousness, really, is what it was, I was not being generous towards somebody else out of the pure act of generosity. I was actually being greedy, I was actually using this moment to really look good in the eyes of my wife and to, in the eyes of my children, when in all honesty, it was supposed to be just this act of generosity. You see, greed is this subtle act that can be clothed in, in all of these weird places where you would least expect it. And, and greed is, is something that, that really is the essence of what this parable's teaching us. Um, Jesus is showing us how we are to view our possessions as a whole. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament teaching on generosity and kind of the lifestyle that Jesus lived. I want you to to scrap everything you've ever heard and and try to listen to what I hope to open up. Not that I have some new insight or some, you know, cutting new idea, but but I think there's this problem that we as Christians face where we cannot dis- divide the distinction between, you know, self-interest and ambition, you know, like having drive towards jobs and careers and money and possessions and all of those things that are not evil in and of themselves and then a teaching like this where jesus says just go sell it all give it away and so i think we struggle and i'm going to attempt to walk that fine line but the essence of, of cycle is that it really creates unhappy and dissatisfies people because greed is just i want more This is not enough. What I have is not enough, and so I need more. And so, you know, the 10% pay raise that you received, well, it wasn't 20%. You know, the the $1,000 tax, you know, refund that you got back was, was nice, but it really wasn't enough. You know, all of these ways in which it's just that mentality of I've got to have more. And Jesus wants to free us from the grip. You see, the thing that greed promises us and why it's so tempting for us to buy into that mentality is it offers us three things. It offers us freedom, power, and security. That's what money, resources, possessions give us. It gives us this sense of freedom. It gives us some sense of power, and it gives us some sense of security or safety. And rightly so, like God intended them to give us that on some levels. And so Jesus is going to show us that there's another source to have these things. And he's going to show us the strategy to be released from the grip of greed. And so here's, here's my main idea as we walk through this parable and its following verses this morning. I want you to see that God's strategy to rescue us, all of us, from the tight-fisted grip that greed has on us is open handed generosity. That's the strategy to, to rescue us. So this morning, let's look at these three things. Let's look at the point of the parable, let's look at the application of the parable, and then let's look at the fulfillment of the parable. So let's look at, let's just walk through the parable uh, real quickly here in verses 13 down uh, through 21. So, setting for the, for the story here, Jesus now has a very large gathering. Okay, So at the beginning of chapter 12, it actually says that there are thousands and thousands of people following Jesus to hear what he has to say and to see what he's doing. And they're even, the text tells us at the beginning of chapter 12, they're even trampling each other. And so, I mean, this is like Black Friday Walmart status type, you know, I mean, you get the vision. This is lots of people gathering around Jesus to hear this teaching on greediness. And um, so he begins with this parable. He says, I'll tell you a parable. Now, a parable really, it's a really simple thing. And so let me, it's not a big lecture on what a parable is, but a parable was, it was a spiritual lesson based on an earthly reality. And so Jesus would tie these spiritual lessons to things that we understood in everyday life. And the strange thing about the way that Jesus used parables was that parables were not actually meant to make the message easier for people to understand actually meant to make the message harder. And so in this large crowd of thousands and thousands of people, Jesus would teach this message, this parable, this story on greediness, but then he would go to his people, his disciples, his followers, and he would explain it to them. So that's what he's doing here is he's going to take them to this parable, to this story. Here's the essence of it. Someone in this large crowd comes out and he says, "Jesus, Tell my brother to give me my fair share of the inheritance. Now, this would not have been uncommon. Uh, Jewish rabbis would have been gone to for both religious and civil issues to kind of settle these things out. So apparently this, this man has been ousted in some way in his family inheritance, his fair share, right? So this man stands up and he says, Jesus, tell them to give me my fair share. He begins this grip of, I want more, and I am entitled to it. And Jesus answers him, and he tells them to be on guard against covetousness. Another word would be greed. Covetousness is that tenth commandment. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, there's ten big ones. This is the tenth one. You shall not covet your neighbor's uh, house, his wife, his belongings. So covetousness is that eye that's always looking at what your neighbor has and says, I want that what this man was doing I want that here's the thing about a parable a parable was not intended to teach us all kinds of things about God it wasn't like meant to be this like a systematic theology where we we really exegete every little thing and we we pull out it was really meant to teach one big main idea here's the main idea Jesus was teaching life is about more than possessions it's really that simple Life is about more than what you have, is what he was trying to teach this man, the crowd, and then his followers within that. And so he goes on as he has laid this parable out, and then he turns to his disciples to apply the parable. So let's look at the application of the parable. I've made a couple attempts, I think I've even shared this from up front, a couple attempts to garden um, in my days. I don't know why. It's weird. I'm not that cool. You know, I know that I know gardening's cool now, but Anyway, in various places that we have been, there's been these gardening opportunities for me. And um, in Texas, it's weird. Uh, gardening, the, the soil there is just really, it was really hard where we were at. And so the soil was just, it was not ripe for gardening. And I had this opportunity to go to this community garden and, and garden. And year one was horrible because I didn't do anything to the ground to prepare it for it, and, and my, the fruit of my labor really showed. Year two, I had prepared the soil, and for those of you that are green thumbs, you're like, well, duh, Adam, that's like step one. You know, like, got, it grows in the dirt, you gotta have some nutrients in there. Well, year two, I, I did that, and, and the result was much better. Um, so greed, the soil that greed grows best in is the soil of anxiety. So anxious hearts, people that are worried a lot. And, and that's why, you know, Security, power, freedom really speaks to those kind of people. So Jesus, he's really connecting greed to that soil of anxiety in our hearts that that we're looking for security, and greed makes big promises of that. It says, if you get more, you will be secure. And so Jesus begins speaking to anxious people who are prone to greediness because here's the nature of what sin does. It always makes big promises and it never delivers. It always overpromises and under-delivers. That's the nature of every sin, and greed is, is no different than that. And so the person that always wants more will never be satisfied because nothing is ever enough, right? So Jesus begins speaking to anxious hearts. And what does he do? Typical Jesus fashion here. He just says, He just says, look at the birds. Right, look at the birds of the field. They don't have storehouses. I mean, they, they do some storing. I, I did a little research. They actually do store some stuff. But Jesus, the, the big, point, big point, I'm not saying Jesus is wrong, but the big point was look at the birds of the field. You know, they, don't, they don't worry about it. God takes care of them. Look at the flowers of the field, birds of the air, flowers of the field. They don't toil or spin. They're not anxious. They are not worried that they're not going to get enough sun. You know, the Lord provides what they need. And they thrive. And Jesus really takes this ordinary simple things of birds and flowers and he tells us to apply that to our view of our stuff. And so let's disconnect from birds and flowers and let's connect to our lives. And let's ask the question, how much is enough? I mean, how much is enough is the big question. Because greed, it comes in two forms. Now, when we hear this parable... I think at least when I first read it I thought greed was just in the form of hoarding right keeping things saving but it but it also comes in the form of overspending so like the forms of greed can look it can look like oversaving and it can look like overspending and so the the, the believer has to ask like you know what what is enough like food and drink like Do we have to draw the line? Like, do we have to just eat fast food because it's inexpensive? Or can we enjoy a nice marbled ribeye? Like, I don't know. How much is enough? Entertainment. Can I only take my kids to the $2 theater? Or or can I go to NFL games with money? I, I don't know. You know, how much housing? Is one house enough or is two houses enough? Is three houses enough? I don't know. Jesus wants us to answer those questions not in terms of black and white, but in terms of the grip that greed actually holds over us. See, in the early church, there was this teaching called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, for for those of us that are not really interested in reading those type of early church materials, Gnosticism basically said this, Stuff is bad. Material, not good. And so it led Christians towards this this ascetic monk type of lifestyle, where it was deny the physical things. And Jesus is not teaching that. He's not teaching us that stuff is bad. So he's showing us that all of these things are actually made for us to enjoy. I I love this quote, um, Reformation theologian, John Calvin, so 16th century guy, love reading the dead, guys, he, he said this, he said, there's not one blade of grass, there's not one color in this world that is not intended to make us rejoice. God made everything for us to rejoice in. And so when Jesus shows us that stuff isn't bad, but at the end of the application, he says, sell your possessions and give it to the needy, he's not teaching us that having possessions is bad, He's teaching us that having possessions as your ultimate thing is bad. And so Jesus says, sell everything. And and he might be calling you to sell everything. But the point is not Jesus is telling us all to engage in the life of poverty. He's not telling us we must sell everything. He's telling us we must be willing to sell everything. That's the difference. There must be a willingness to let go of our things in order to know that what we have most important is what Jesus is offering us. So overspending is one way, but, I mean, oversaving is something we need to think about, too. How much is enough? How much retirement do we need? How big does the nest egg really have to be, right? How much saving is necessary? I'm not promoting this free, live-as-you-go lifestyle. I think there's something wise about saving. I think there's something wise about planning. That's not what Jesus is teaching us. He's teaching us to ask the question, how much is enough? And so here's here's really where I want to hook you in um, to answer that question, is is how can we know when we have enough? Or how can we know enjoyment of good things has become uh, really idolatry of ultimate things? When when we've kind of crossed that line to too much. So let's look lastly at the fulfillment of the parable in verse 34, uh, if, you, if you're looking at your Bibles, um, you'll notice that Jesus closed up b- both the, the, the parable and then this application section in verse 34 with, with talking about treasure. And so that's kind of the, that's kind of the bookends of, of the passage is verse 21. So who lays up his treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And then verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasure is more than money, and it's, it's more than stuff and possessions. It, it, it certainly is that, but it's more than that. See, treasure is, a, is a really just a, a simple way for us to, to talk about what, is, what, what gives us worth, significance, and value. That's what your treasure is. Whatever gives you ultimate worth, significance, and value. So for some people, that certainly is money, like looking at the bank statement. We're running to the mailbox for that retirement you know, assessment. Like, that's, that is it for some. For some of us, it, it is stuff. Right? It's the excessive man cave or whatever you're into. For me, it's ridiculous amounts of books. What, whatever, it, it can be stuff. For some, of it, it's people. It's relationships. It's children. Like, those become treasures because it gets, becomes ultimate. And so Jesus tells us really to find out where our treasure is. And, um, I mean, that's that's kind of the the summary of the application, is where's your treasure? Where's your worst significance and value? And he says, here's the best way to find it. Track the patterns of your life. Follow, Follow your treasure, follow where you put all your stuff, perhaps even money, we'll talk about that in a minute, and that's where you'll find your heart. That's where your treasure is. Track it. And so the beautiful thing about the Bible is is God has made it pretty useful for us. Like, it's not just a user's guide for how to live a great life, but there are useful things in it to help us to be rescued from this. And God actually gave us two pattern-shaping practices for us to combat greed in our lives. The two practices in the Old Testament were Sabbath rest and tithing. Okay? So, resting and giving were the two practices, patterns that God established. He instituted them as law for his people because they primarily were an assault against greed. Let's just tease that out in our own terms today, resting. So I don't think... Either Sabbath or tithing are actually New Testament requirements anymore. This is not the place where I'll lay that out for you. But I actually think the principles are still at work. And so what we practice is the Lord's day, a day of rest physically from our labors. And and it doesn't look like it used to in the Old Testament. But a day of resting was the habitual pattern of God's people. And they were the only ones who did it. They were the only ones who sat out a day. They took off work. They... I'm stretching to our context. They stopped checking emails. They stopped answering voicemails. They stopped tallying up the records and the bank statements. And they just rested. If you think about that, if you think about what that says, what that says is I'm not in control. What that says is I am not making this thing work, but God is. And so resting was that pattern that God's people were to put into place that ultimately said, God, you are running this. So what would it look like for us to prioritize rest? To cuddle with kids? To go hiking? To read a book just for fun, not for leadership development and growth. Just to read a book. What would it look like for us to just take a nap guilt-free? I know moms, it's not a reality yet for us. It's coming, I hear. We're going to get naps, honey. It's going to come. Not for a while. Um, but just to rest and to trust. That's the pattern God's given us. The other pattern that he gave us was, was tithing or giving. Now, in the Old Testament, the tithe meant, meant a tenth. So it was, it was 10% of your income. And uh, you know the Jewish Old Testament laws. I mean, they were going deep. They were they were tithing on their spice racks, literally, like they would tithe on everything because they they wanted to meet the letter of the law. And it's actually my understanding that tithing is fairly quiet in the New Testament. I, I haven't read much about that. And so a lot of people say, yeah, tithing's not even talked about in the New Testament, so we're good. We have to give. And my impression about tithing being quiet. In the, in, the old, in the New Testament is this. It's not enough. The 10% in the Old Testament, in the old ways, under the old laws and regulations and restrictions was fine, but now Jesus has come and he has blown open the gates of salvation for the world. He's made it open to men and women, young and old, to Jews and Gentiles alike. This thing has changed the shape of our world and we're going to say God wants less of us? So, the, the New Testament silence, the 10% might be too little. It might be an argument from, from that. But I want to see if this is some of the reason why generosity and giving is difficult for us. This is coming from my own life. So, Have you ever said things like this? Well, we're going to start giving when we get out of debt. We're going to start giving when we get a pay raise or we get the real job, right? It's, not the, it's the career job. So we'll, we'll start giving then. Or we're going to start giving when the nest egg gets really big. Like we really want that thing rolling. You know, this is me talking here. So um, it's hard to give, and it doesn't get any easier. So the more money you make will not make it easier to give. You see, that was the beautiful thing about the Old Testament application of the law was it was always given into proportion to what you had been given. And so the wealthiest gave 10% of what they had given and the least wealthy gave 10% of what they had given. It was, it was equal. It was fair. You gave into proportion what the Lord had given you. And so I want us to begin thinking about not just rest, that is important part of combating greed, but also generosity. You know, what would it look like For us to begin to let go of more things, to be open with our homes, not just money, to give away our stuff so much that our kids think that they might be next, (laughs) like that generous? You know, what would it look like for you? You know, maybe the whole 10% thing and the tithe just has you overwhelmed, you know, like that, that just mathematically, you know, for the people that do charts and keep your, your books, that just, you just don't know how that will work. But what would it look like for you to give 1% towards being generous towards the kingdom? Or 2% or 3%? I'm, I'm not going to get legal on this. What would it look like for instead of when our getting increases, when we get more income, instead of increasing our lifestyle, we increased our generosity? Because, I mean, Let's be honest, when we get raises, we think, what is next for us? Like, We get the bigger TV, we get the leather seats, you know, I, I don't know. Well, What would it look like if when our getting increases, our giving increased? Um, the remedy for greed is not poverty, it's not. It's generosity, and there's a big difference. You see, poor people can't make huge differences but poor people are not spoken lowly of in the Scriptures. I mean, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know the woman who went to the temple and gave her two coins. She gave everything she had, and Jesus said she gave more than anybody else gave that he had been watching all day. 1 Timothy chapter 6 speaks of rich, wealth, wealthy people like us Americans in this way. It says, As for the rich... God doesn't want us to feel guilty over being wealthy. The point of this parable is not for us to feel bad or to feel terrible that we haven't been generous. God wants us to feel grateful and to respond in generosity. It's what God wants us to do. It's what Jesus wants us to do. And so how can we know when greed has less and less of a grip on us? How can we know when that grip is really loosening up a bit? And here's here's my suggestion. When you can give large amounts of money, stuff, generosity, whatever that looks like, large amounts frequently, and it becomes easy and enjoyable, that's when you know greed doesn't have a grip on you anymore. And it's hard to get there. And so how do we do that? How can giving everything away even become a possibility for us, for people that are living paycheck to paycheck, people who are raising kids that eat more food than we ever realized they would? Like, how is that even possible? Well, the answer is for us to change our perspective. We opened up with the, pa- the wallet passing thing, right? And, and that was, it was funny, but it was, it was really meant to, to give you something tangible. It was meant for you to begin to view your possessions as being on loan from God. So everything that you have is loaned and not owned. And so when somebody gave you their money in their wallet, you felt real generous in that moment. Like You would have swiped real quick. see, the Lord, through the gospel, has shown us that all that we have comes from a source outside of us. And we have no eternal right to anything. There is no sense of entitlement for the believer. And the gospel shows us someone who had eternal rights. Someone who has coexisted with the Father and the Spirit from all eternity. He was the owner and the maker of everything that has ever existed. He, in himself, was satisfied. He needed nothing, but he gave everything. And so the gospel shows us Jesus, the God-man, who left the throne of glory and he came, came to us and became one of us. He became like us. He had tangible needs. He was hungry. He needed a place to sleep. He needed clothes. He needed shoes. He needed his stuff, but he was willing to give everything away to have poor, greedy people like you and me. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We as greedy people need freedom, power, security, and there is no greater hope than the good news of Jesus today, that we would free ourselves from the grip that greed has on us, that it that it offers us freedom and it doesn't. Galatians chapter 5 says that for freedom Christ has set us free, therefore stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. If you're here today and perhaps greed has just, has that chokehold on you and you can't get rid of it, you were were a, a born spender or a born saver and you just can't rid yourself of it. That grip is freed when you look to Jesus and you see that he gave everything for a greedy person like you. Believers, hear the words of Scripture as I close this morning. It says this in our passage this morning, uh, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's the good news for us today, that come rain or shine, come good or bad, come full bank deposits, empty bank deposits, come ravaged 401ks or thriving 401ks, the kingdom is yours in Christ. Let's pray. Father, money is really hard for us to deal with. Lord Jesus, you talked a lot about money. It was one of your top subjects because you knew the subtle allure that it had over us, that it could provide us this great amount of freedom or power or security and safety. And Lord, the the older we get, the wiser we become, and the more money and stuff we have, we realize that's just not true, Lord, that our hearts in and of themselves are greedy and we just want more, more, more. So Lord, I pray that you would help us today to see how Jesus is enough and that we would hear his command to sell our possessions and give everything away, not as a legalistic command that none of us can keep, but as a possibility, that you would work in us the the real possibility that we could give everything away because you are enough. Lord, unless you do that work, we will remain greedy. So Lord, we pray that you would work generosity into our hearts and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.